I mean, I, I, I honestly don't remember. I think I was so nervous that I was just like, I, I hope they like me, but um, yeah. I was just playing to have fun. And I think going back to like playing under pressure, I think, you know, when I knew coaches were watching me, I would always play better because I think it added a little bit more pressure, which I have always really liked in a weird way. So. Welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Every week we'll be talking shop with lacrosse goalies, coaches, and special guests. This is the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Now your host, Coach Damon Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, goalies from around the world, welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Damon, and this is the show 100% dedicated to the lacrosse goalie. And on, the, on this show, my job is simple. Let's track down the best goalies in our sport and interview them. Find out what makes them so great. What are the mindsets that they have? What are the drills that they do? How have they progressed to where they're at in their lacrosse goalie game? My guest on the show this week, it's a great one. It's Syracuse female goalie Kimber She started her career at North Carolina, transferred over to the Orange, and this year earned uh, the starting role with splitting time at the beginning, something that we talk about uh, pretty extensively. Kimber is from a non-hotbed of Utah, which we talk about, and she also went through a little bit of a mental health struggle, something that's common for many goalies as this position is very high pressure. So we talk about that in a lot of depth. So, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy this episode with Syracuse goalie Kimber Hauer. Before we begin this episode, I want to read a word from our sponsor, and that is my own Lacrosse Goalie Summit. The Lacrosse Goalie Summit is a five-day free virtual lacrosse goalie training event, and it's really a simple idea. I invite the best lacrosse goalie coaches, the best lacrosse goalies in our sport together for this five-day event to give free training sessions on different elements of this position. Lacrosse Goalie Summit 7 is now available for registration. Go to goaliesummit.com and get your free ticket. You're going to learn things like techniques and drills, mental mindsets of elite goalies, mindfulness training, tons of mental game training this time around. We're going to run it June 27th through July 1st. You can get an absolute free ticket at goaliesummit.com. You'll have the opportunity to buy the VIP pass once you sign up, and that is lifetime access to all the replays. So you can go back and watch all of these training events whenever and also wherever you want. You can download them and take them to go. I got a ton of great goalie coaches lined up for the Lacrosse Goalie Summit 7. We've got Goalie Smith, Sean Quirk, Ted Bergman, Chris Buck, Brett Dobson, Emily Sterling, Ariel Weisman, Mr. Wonderful is going to be there, Simon Bellamy, Tim Cassie, Goldies Matter, Reagan Alexander will be there, and tons of special guests as well. We're going we're gonna to have tons of fun. You're going to learn, I guarantee, at least one or two amazing things from each session. It's live. It's virtual via Zoom. So get signed up, GoldieSummit.com for your free ticket. Once again, that's GoldieSummit.com, and I'll see you starting on June 27th. 
Well, very cool. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Syracuse goalie, starting goalie, Kimber Howard. Kimber, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I'd love to hear the story of when you first jumped into gold. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think I was in fifth grade. I started playing field and then kind of like a lot of goalie stories, they didn't have a goalie. Um, I always wanted to be a catcher in softball. So I like ran up to my mom and I was like, can I try it? And she was like, go for it. Um, and then that was like the first time I started playing goalie. So. Yeah. And you grew up in Utah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that doesn't scream to me lacrosse Mecca, but I don't know. Tell me a little bit about Utah lacrosse. Um, yeah, it definitely doesn't scream Mecca. Um, it is getting better though. It's developing. Uh, it was, we, we have like youth programs. So I started playing youth, but I got into it because of my brother, because boys across there is bigger. Um, and then once I got into the woman's side, it wasn't as developed. So then that's when I switched to playing men's across in Utah. Very nice. So you were out there running around with the boys. Yeah, I was trying. <laughs> I was I was a little small, but um, it worked out when I got older. So. Now, is that when you first uh, jumped into goal with the boys or, or no? No, I started with girls, but then my brother would shoot on me and then his friends would shoot on me and then it just, you know, went from there. So Yeah. So, and you wanted to be a softball catcher. So what is it about projectiles coming your way that, that you like so much? Um, I think it was the gear, honestly. I thought the gear was so cool. I thought the helmet was cool. I was like, you get to like throw it on and like whip it off. And I always thought like it was such a unique position that everyone like noticed because of, um, you know, it stood apart from everyone else. So I think there was always something about that that always piqued my interest. Yeah, the gear is super cool, especially in women's lacrosse. Like it's very different than the field players, right? Uh, so you get you get to stand out in that way and be in the spotlight, um, which is something I love. Not all goalies love that, or not all people love that, but I I think a lot of goalies do like being in the spotlight. Is that is that the case for you? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily like being in the spotlight. I think I like the um, like the job description of being a goalie. You know, it's very high intense position you have to you know be successful in very intense situations and be able to handle pressure and I think for me pressure is something I've always like craved a little bit um so I think you know the responsibilities that come along with it are something that is why I particularly liked goalie um but obviously it has its positives and negatives to it yeah yeah um that's a good job description by the way yeah I mean it is like a little short bursts of pressure um, and I think that it's a tremendous like pursuit to like go like seek those situations and what a great like vehicle to do so than being a lacrosse goalie. So I think you can, um, I mean, this is a lacrosse goalie show. So we're like amongst all these goalies, but it's a, it's a, it's a great thing to try and be like just a better person. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run into challenges and we'll talk about some of those in, in, in a second, but um, it's just, yeah, I mean, in terms of just bettering yourself as a, as a person, I think that, you know, trying to be a great goalie or even just, you know, has to have success in this sport is, is a great pursuit. So, and speaking of which, so then how did you, you know, you, you, you jump into goal. Um, I guess you like it. Maybe you're, you're good at, uh, you know, naturally, like, how did you go about learning how to make, uh, how to make saves? Um, I think I just threw myself in the goal and I just, naturally started doing it. I never had any instruction. Um, but you know, I went and watched my brother play and I watched the men's goalies plays. And that's, that's honestly where I started learning about it. Um, and, you know, picking up men's tendencies very early on, I think really shaped the kind of playing style I have now and then end up playing men's across. So 
you know, I really think that like, I credit that the most. What would you call a men's tendency as a goalie? Would that be like an example? Like when I watch you, when I watch you play, like a lot of low saves, you know, you get your body down there. Like you get your knees behind the ball, um, kind of, kind of throw your body behind it. Would, would that be a tendency or what, what, what are some examples? I don't like to say now, at least that I think that my style of play is more like men's because I think there's so many different styles now that go around with women's goalies. But I think back then it was out of the norm, like to drop to your knees. Everyone kept saying like, oh, you play like a boy because of how you do get in front of the ball. And women um, used to play a lot more mechanical and very like we're trained very differently, I think. So I think that I would say it's more of a men's tendency, but now um, I would just say it's my style of play. I would eliminate the men's tendency part. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's so many styles and, and you're starting to see a lot of uh, girls play like quote unquote guys and it doesn't really matter. I mean, I've seen guys that have like, you know, some more narrow stances that you might stereotypically think is a girl. That's, that's kind of how girls set up, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I've seen girls do the wide base stance. So, you know, it really like, depends on the goalie and, and your frame and, and how you play. And there's a lot of different ways to have success. That's kind of the main, one of my main theories of this position. And it sounds like you agree. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about like early sticking points, any early problems? I mean, I know when I first started, like being scared of the ball and like flinching was like my main one. That's probably the the most common one for lacrosse goalies. Cause it's just not a natural thing, but does anything come to mind for you or like right when you were, getting started? Yeah, I actually vividly remember I, when I started playing guys, I, so I played field and goalie. So I would play half of the game as a field player, as a midi. And then the other half I would play as a goalie in the woman's side. And then in the men's side, I would only play a full game of goalie. But I remember when I switched over to men's, I was so scared of the ball. Um, and like when you're in a game, it's better, but it was more like practices for me. Um, and when my brother would shoot on me, like I would want him to use tennis balls. And he was like, I'm not using tennis balls on you. Like you have to get over this fear. And I was like, so young, but I think that definitely helped, but it was more just like a, I think all goalies when they're younger are a little scared of the ball, unless, I mean, there's a few that aren't, but I definitely was for a little bit in elementary school, but then got over it once I got older. Yeah. I mean, just through reps, right? I mean, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's weird. It's like, you've got this rubber projectile coming at you. You're wearing very little padding. Yeah. Um, and it's just not a natural thing, you know, like no. your natural reaction is to kind of curl up and close your eyes and have that fear response. And you've got to just train that out of your system with reps. I agree. Um, and the tennis balls can help, but it sounds like your brother was not, he was not into that. Huh? He wasn't. <laughs> trial by fire, Kimber. Yeah, it was trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But I always recommend kids start out with the tennis balls because, um, you know, it's just like, you know, there's no, even in certain drills to this day, like with college kids, I recommend tennis balls because, um, you know, you take a beating in there and like you get hit in the thigh and you're having a great training session. And then you're just like, oh man, I, I don't want to, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. Tennis balls are actually a big part of my training regimen now. And I'm very grateful for them. So. Yeah. Now, do you guys, do you pad up in practice? Are you wearing anything on the legs or, or no, um, no, no regular goalie padding? Well, I wear, so I wear sweatpants, but underneath my sweatpants, I have like the small hex pad that you can't see, but it's like a very thin padding, but I think it helps. Um, you know, sometimes if it's like inner, like calf, like it sometimes helps relieve a little of the pressure, but 
you know, my freshman year, I didn't wear anything. And then as I started like getting older, I was like, you know, I maybe should wear a pad or two to be able to get through all my years in college. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, it, it takes a toll on, on the legs and you talk to, you know, some of these guys that in the pro league who've been doing it for, you know, 20 years and like, they'll tell you stories about how screwed up their shins are and um, yeah. all this stuff. So yeah. Um, have you always worn the sweatpants? I, I love that look, by the way. I'm, I'm a big sweatpants goalie. Uh, tucked into the socks, keep it nice and clean, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I started wearing, I wore them in high school. Um, like my sophomore year, I started, but I only played two years of high school cross. But I, once I switched to sweatpants, I wore them in all weathers and I didn't care. I loved them. I think yeah. maybe it was more of like a comfort thing. Um, and then it just stuck in it doesn't really bother me anymore in any type of weather. So I just have never gone back. <laughs> yeah. And you get that extra millimeter of fabric and <laughs> it helps. I've made some saves because of my sweatpants and I'm like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to, if you know, it can help. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All weather. I was, I was all weather sweatpants goalie too. Yeah. Um, awesome. So you mentioned you only played two years of high school lacrosse. Why is that? Um, my junior year, I stopped playing because I was asked by my coaches at Carolina, um, like it was a mutual decision between us that I would graduate high school year early. So I took, um, a regular junior course load with like APs plus 13 online classes to graduate a year early. So I didn't really have time to play high school lacrosse. So I just trained on the men's side, uh, in my free time. And then, um, that's where it went from there. So, whoa, what an amazing story. So ba back it up a little bit. You get recruited by UNC, right? And this is, I guess, before the rule, like the rule now is they can't recruit you until I think, or can't contact you until like September 1st of your junior year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And this is before the rule. So t tell me about like how, you know, your recruiting process went. Yeah, my recruiting process was very unique. Um, being from Utah, you know, you can't just like drive to a tournament in Maryland and have coaches watch you or go to your high school games and watch you. So I went to a tournament when I was in eighth grade and, um, you know, we got film from it. And um, my coaches, without telling me, sent out the film to like the top 10 coaches in the country. And I, I had no idea they were going to do that because when I first started, I thought I was like, oh, like maybe I'll like go D2, D3. I knew nothing, honestly, about college lacrosse. So when they did that, we heard it back from like six of them in 24 hours. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Cause I, we also, my coaches didn't know either because we were all inexperienced in the recruiting world. But um, you know, my top three schools were uh, Carolina, Duke and Syracuse. So, you know, I was going into my freshman year of high school when this all happened. And um, you know, Gary came out and visited me in Utah which is by far one of the coolest things I think I can ever say to this day. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And then you know, I went to Carolina, um, went on a camp visit there, loved it, and then went on a visit at Duke, which is also a beautiful school as well. So, um, but it was a very quick process. I think I was committed by the winter of my freshman year before I started playing in high school even. So it was very fast. That is amazing. So you must, uh, as, an, as just a, as a freshman or, or going into your freshman year. So, I mean, you must have lit, you must have lit it up at that camp. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't remember. I think I was so nervous that I was just like, I, I hope they like me, but um, yeah. I was just playing to have fun. And I think going back to like playing under pressure, I think, you know, when I knew coaches were watching me, I would always play better because I think it added a little bit more pressure, which I have always really liked in a weird way. So. Interesting. Yeah. Cause a lot of times goalies will tell me like, 
I've got a huge game on Saturday. Like, you know, so many coaches are going to be there or like the one college coach of the school I want to go to is going to be there. And they're like feeling these nerves. And so I ask goalies like you, like, well, when you go to those big camps, like, do you feel those nerves? And if so, like, how do you, like, how do you deal with it? How do you recommend these kids deal with it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's normal to feel those nerves. I don't think I've met very many people that don't have them, especially as goalies. Um, you know, for me, it, it, having nerves almost makes me dial in a little bit more and focus on the ball more because it like helps me narrow in on my one job. Uh, but you know, that took a lot of practice. And, um, for me over the years, one thing I've had to do is just focus on my job and not worrying about other people or defense or like, um, you know, outward things that could be um, maybe distractions. So, um, you know, I think it, it's definitely trial and error and, you know, you're never going to play perfect and, you know, goals are going to go in. So I think when you have like those high intense situations, the more calm you are, the better it goes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, you know, it takes training. And I would say that like, as, if you can try and replicate those high pressure situations in, in practice as much as possible, Yeah, um, you know, so you get used to it. Right. Because there's, there's like, like stress works on this continuum where like, if you don't have any, that's not a good thing either. Cause like you said, you need a little bit of, of that excitement to get into it. Otherwise it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then when you get on the, on the, on the far end of the spectrum, like when you have too much stress, it kind of, you know, you can't, you can't play well. And so you got to find that happy medium. And I, I think that comes with practice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the other thing that I've heard, and I now replicate, I don't think I've had a single original coaching idea in this whole lax goalie rat thing. I just steal from different sources. But uh, one of the coaches said, um, you know, stress and excitement are really the same thing, like in your body, you know, like, like your heart will speed up a little bit. Maybe your palms get a little sweaty. Um, and so, but, but they're very different psychologically. Stress is kind of this like negative thing. Like, how do I get rid of this stress? Excitement is a positive thing. Like, yeah, of course I'm excited to play. This is amazing. I love this sport. Can't wait to get out there. And so kind of reframing that stress as, as excitement, I think helps a lot of kids. So, oh yeah. And it's helped me like even this year, sometimes like before we would have a game, like the night before I would get really nervous and I'm just like, is it like, am I stressed out? Like, am I not enjoying this? And then I just tell myself, I'm like, no, like these are, these are excitement nerves. You know, I'm like ready to go. Like it's more of an anxious, like I just want to play kind of thing. So yeah. I definitely believe in reframing words to help you is a huge psychological benefit. Love it. Love it. Awesome. So back to the story. So then you commit to UNC and then they need a goalie, like not your graduating year, but the year, but the year before. And so you guys kind of decide, all right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do two years in one academically and graduate a year early. Yeah. Yeah. And it was wow. also, um, coming where I came from, they thought, well, I registered my freshman year. So we did have another goalie, Elise Hennessy. Uh, she was a great goalie at Carolina, very successful, um, career when she played. So, um, coming in, I think they also wanted me to learn from both of her and Taylor and just have a year to redshirt, get experience under my belt. So I wouldn't be a true freshman when I could finally play. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that was also part of like the thought process behind it. Interesting. And how was that for you academically? Cause I gotta, I gotta say, like I took, um, AP classes, like my senior year and one year's worth. And it, it was a lot, it was a lot of work. Right. And, and that can be stressful uh, as well. So like, how did you handle that workload? Um, I mean, that's why I couldn't play lacrosse, I think um, regular season. So 
but you know, I, some, something my parents always instilled in me was academics before athletics. Um, and I was very lucky with that because a lot of kids, you know, aren't taught to have a drive in school sometimes because sports can sometimes overpower that. So, you know, they were just like, as long as you're doing well in school, like we don't, we don't care what you do. Um, so I had really good time management skills from a very young age. And I also, I love school. Like I love, I'm an, I'm a perfectionist in all areas of my life, not just the cross. So I think I was also very competitive in the classroom and I always wanted to be the best. Um, and that would be like, you know, whether that be getting all A's or like, you know, studying and, you know, I didn't really do a whole lot on the weekends because of my workload. So mm. it was a very big commitment, but I was very, very determined to make it happen. Awesome. What advice would you give a young kid going through the recruiting process um, in 2022? Yeah, I mean, the rules are so different now, um, but I think, I think enjoy it. I feel like kids get so caught up now and like stressed and like, I don't know where I want to go. Like I'm being told this by my coach. I'm being told this by my parents. Um, I would just say like, take a second to do your own research and be like, what do you want? Because I think so many times kids are told what they should want. Um, so, you know, like maybe if a kid doesn't want to play at a super high D1 level, like maybe they want to focus more on their academics, like that's totally okay. But, you know, you have to make those decisions for yourself and, you know, vocalize them. And I think, you know, that would help a lot of kids out if they were taught that more. Love that. Love that. That's great. Um, so you get to UNC and, um, you know, your first kind of dose of of college athletics and, you know, you got great goalies uh, above you, you know, what, what would you say you learned the most um, during that first year? I think, I mean, I, I, I was 17 when I got to college, so I was a baby. Um, I think the biggest thing I learned was how to manage my emotions as a D1 athlete. I think it was so overwhelming that I struggled so much at times um, because I just didn't know how to talk about like how I was feeling. And I think from the other goalies, like finding outlets um, and, you know, talking to your teammates and making those connections was very, very important. And I, you know, I learned from at least specifically my freshman year, cause I wasn't like obviously competing to play in a game. She really showed me that like, you know, connections off the field are very, very beneficial and like your mental health, which I'm very, very grateful for. Um, cause she was very outspoken about that. So I think for me, those were the biggest things my freshman year. Yeah. What, what was overwhelming? Help, help me understand that. Cause I've heard that quite a bit. Um, I never played division one sports, so, you know, I'm not coming from that background. So I, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, you know, you wake up, uh, if you have seven or 8am lift, you wake up at six 30 every day, you go to lift, then you go to three, four classes as a freshman classes are really hard. Um, they were very hard at Carolina, especially. So, um, you know, learning how to work with professors and do that. And then you also have to do all this extra work of like paperwork, um, blood work, all this stuff when you first get to school. So you have a million appointments to do. And then on top of that, you have your first practice, which everyone's always terrified as a freshman for your first practice in collegiate athletics, because, you know, it's so different, so much faster, it's so much more intense. So um, that plus, you know, then recovery and then figuring out when to eat on your own, you know, your, your parents aren't there to do your laundry to take care of you. Um, yeah. and, you know, so I think it's such a big adjustment in a way that it just, everything feels overwhelming, especially I was 17. I was a baby when I went in. So, you know, I definitely think another year of high school would have helped, but, um, I figured it out. So. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You're still a baby. How old are you now? 20? I'm 21. 
21. But I'm, all right. All right. A little I'm, older, I still but still have a couple more years. Left, yeah, I'm 41. So you're still you're still a baby <laughs> if you ask me. So there you go. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah, I identify with a lot of what you said there, minus the D1, like being on your own, you know, for in college it can be for the first time can be very overwhelming, let alone, you know, all of the time commitments that you have uh being a D1 athlete. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so then you, you, you know, you penned an article, um, uh, related to mental health is now kind of a good, is this kind of timing wise, is this kind of when that story starts? Um, yeah, I think it, I definitely think it started my freshman year and, um, you know, built up to when I wrote that first letter to myself, but, uh, you know, I think growing up my perfectionism is perfectionism and my anxiety always like maybe built up a little bit to that and like being in that environment definitely like intensified it a lot so mm -hmm. I want to talk about the perfectionism because um you know it's it's an interesting balance because lacrosse goalies can't can't be perfect and I mean very rarely do you have shutouts right like we you know 50 percent 60 percent is a great save percentage uh for goalies and um how do you deal with how do you balance that? You're a perfectionist. I, I'm a perfectionist in certain ways too. Um, and it's tough, right? Because <laughs> then you give up a goal and all of a sudden, like, I'm not perfect anymore. And I'm curious how you went about balancing that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have to admit, I went a long time with not balancing it well at all. You know, I had to have um, people very close to me sit me down and be like, you have to stop beating so hard on yourself because it's preventing you from getting to the level you should be at that you right. can be at. So you know, having those hard conversations and, you know, you know, I'm a firm believer in talking to sports psychologists. I think it's been for me, one of the most beneficial things throughout my entire college career. Uh, so, you know, them sitting down and being like, all right, control the controllables, which is my biggest motto the past couple of years um, has been super helpful because I'm like, all right, a goal went in, what can you control? You can control your reaction. You can control IPR, which we call instant positive reaction, and then going to the next one. Um, and, you know, I by no means do that perfectly every time we all get frustrated, we all, um, you know, that perfectionism comes out and which can lead to frustration. But I think, you know, learning to manage that over time just helps you mature as a goalie um, and as a person as well. Yeah, yeah, control the controllables. I, I, I talk about that quite a bit and post about that in, in some of my articles and kind of even just go so far as to like, here's here are things that are not controllable, right? Like the outcome of the game. Yeah, not I mean, you, can't, you can't control. I mean, yeah, like goalies influence that. And maybe if you play good, you can influence it. But you just really you don't have that, you know, pure control. Your reaction to giving up a goal, 100%, you control that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, what IPR, I'd love to hear more about that. Instant positive reaction. What is that? What are, what are some examples? Um, yeah, so our team at Syracuse is very big on IPR. Like after a goal goes in, sometimes like the people on the bench like scream like IPR at the same time. Um, I think for that, it can be in all scenarios. It could be like, all right, if we did a turnover, if they scored a goal or like if we got a yellow card, um, in a game, like would be on the same page of like saying IPR. Cause it's kind of just like a flush, like a Nemo mentality, I guess you could say like, all right, forget about it onto the next. You can't let it influence, you know, how you go forward and like, let it build with your frustration. So, you know, that's something we definitely tried to focus on this year, which has helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes tons of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cliche on this podcast, but that short-term memory and kind of moving on to the next play is just, it's its crucial. 
like it's a cliche for a reason and you got you got to uh, fine tune that that skill and it kind of sounds like that's what the what the IPR is all about yeah yeah do you have a specific routine that you go through when you give up a goal yeah I do actually so if a goal goes in um, depending on like if it, I knew like all right maybe the defense broke down in this certain area or if it's like one where I'm like I should have saved that I I either do one of two things I sometimes I crouch down and I put my hand on the ground, which is, I, it's a little odd, but it helps. It's like in psychology, it's proven that if you like touch something to like try and ground yourself to get in the present moment, it like really helps. And I do that. And like, I take a deep breath and then I stand up again and then I'm on to the next one. Or I have, I'm holding my stick and I just tap the butt of my stick to be like, it's like my reset button that I do sometimes. So like, you know, all right, next one over, can't control it. And then, yeah, so it's like, you know, the crouching, take a deep breath meditation sort of thing, and then just hitting the bottom of my stick. So different, but they work for me. So, yeah. And it hits on a lot of things that um, I think goalies should do. I mean, I think you should do something physical, um, mm -hmm. whether that's tapping the stick, crouching down, deep breath. I think you should always, always deep breath because the breath is so key. The only yeah. thing that you don't do that I've heard other goalies do, maybe you do do, is just some sort of verbal saying something to yourself. I've heard some goalies have like a positive sort of expression that they would say. Do you do yeah. that? No. I, I say it in my mind. I don't really say it out loud, but um, <laughs> I do actually, before games start, I have like a little book that my teammates see me like walking around with. It's like a little notebook. And I go off into like, like kind of like a quieter area before the game starts. And I write five affirmations and a goal. And then um, in the game, like if something isn't going right, I'll say those affirmations over in my head. Can you share those affirmations? Yeah, I think so. The first one off the top of my head is I'm confident in my ability. The second one is, um, you know, if it's like something I want to work on and be like, I'm good at 1v1s and tracking the ball. Um, one of them could be like, uh, I have fast hands or something. And then another one is, what was it? I think it was along the lines of um, I'm patient. That was something I really mm. had to work on this year. Yeah. And then for like the goal, it would be, it would change throughout the year, but something that Kayla trainer, my coach said to me after I didn't have a very good game against Florida, she just sent me a text and she was like, play with joy in your heart. And that for me started being my goal for the rest of the season, um, mm -hmm. which is just play with joy. That's a great goal. Yeah. That's a great goal. Yeah. Um, I think when you play with joy and love for the sport, like we play better just, mm -hmm. just period. So, yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of times too, like over time through a variety of situations, whether it be just a lot of pressure you're feeling or, or just what have you, like you kind of lose the, the, the love of the game and kind of going back to those letters that you wrote yourself, we, we never really dug into that, but I, kind of the first one, you know, you talked about having um, a lot of resentment, a lot of resentment. So take me through kind of what was going on in your mind when you wrote that first letter to yourself. Yeah, that first letter, I was in a very dark period. Um, and I'm like very good at talking about it now because I got help. Um, you know, I had teammates that were very supportive of it. And some of my best friends at Carolina, you know, they knew I was struggling because, you know, I came in and then COVID happened, which was really hard for a lot of people. And then, you know, I came back and I was like, I'm already a junior. Um, I have X amount of eligibility left and 
I don't even enjoy what I do. So like, why am I doing this? Um, and you know, it was more like you put all this effort into a sport and you want so badly for what, you know, you envision for your future to be, to work out correctly. And, you know, when it doesn't, it's so hard and goalies itself, it's such an isolating position because not many people understand it, I guess you could say. And those that do, um, you know, a lot, I feel like a lot of people go through the same stuff, but we just don't really talk about it out loud. Um, so, you know, for me, when I wrote that letter, it came from a place of like, all right, like I've worked so hard to get to this program and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the starting goalie and I had a great goalie above me, but I was like, you know, she has a lot more years of eligibility because of COVID and she also had a redshirt year. So I was like trying to figure out my future. If, you know, like, am I okay being in this position for the rest of my career? And it was a really, really hard place for me to try and be like, or, you know, I, I wrote it in the letter, but I was like, do I walk away from this table um, of people that, you know, have invested so much time and love into me and, you know, kind of not in a selfish way, but really go after what I've wanted ever since I was a little girl. So, um, you know, that was a lot of hard, you know, thoughts and conversations that had to happen, but yeah, that kind of where it's yeah. Interesting. What, what, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of goalies struggle with mental health, right? Um, there's been some that have even taken their own lives. Shame, absolute shame. And, you know, if someone's feeling that way, like what, where do they start? Like, how do, how do I, if they're having some of those feelings that you said, where, where do we start? What do you recommend? I think the biggest thing is, is as goalies, you're taught to be mentally tough. Like it's ingrained in you since you're so little, like, you know, you're getting balls thrown at you. Right. So you're naturally not a normal person, I think, to be able to do that stuff. So I think when it's, we kind of treat mental health the same way we treat getting a ball thrown at us, we're just like, tough it out. Like you're fine. Um, and I think that leads to not talking about it. And then, you know, it just builds up a lot. And like, you know, it broke my heart to see these past year, you know, the Binghamton goalie, he took his own life. And then seeing Katie Meyer, like, like I was, I saw those, I saw those stories and I was like, I know so many people who've been in the same place not that I know what they were going through, but I know so people who've been in the same place that they've considered doing that because they feel like they can't talk to anyone. And on campus, there's so many shortages of um, psychologists and sports psychologists. There's two month waiting lists, uh, largely at a lot of universities. So it's like, who do you talk to if you can't talk to anyone, right? So, you know, it's, it's hard. And I think a place to start, you know, is improving that section at universities. And, um, you know, I think goalies should have their own mental training as is in every program because it's such a hard position yeah 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 um i sent an email out to my list the other day and and said um hey i'm here <laughs> i'm sure you are as well like if, if there's any goalie out there that's struggling and they feel like you know i need to talk to somebody and i don't know who that is i i said look listen the lacrosse goalie community is very small it's yeah. very small and everyone will help you so reach out like you know i'll i'll help you um, you know, I know what Brad, what Brad Gigliotti, Goalies Matters doing is kind of bringing awareness to this as well. Uh, a lot of people will help. So, so if you're, if you're listening to this and feeling some of those thoughts, like reach out. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't pretend to have all the answers. Like that, that's, a, that's the thing as well, right? Like I'm not a mental health expert, but I think even just like starting to talk about it, like is so therapeutic for the person yeah, talking it, about it. Right. Absolutely. And I think it normalizes it and you know, when I was younger, if I would have saw like a goalie in front of me, 
um, who talked about, you know, how they felt, I think it would have made me feel a lot normal, a lot more normal. And, you know, one of my good friends is, is Madison, who's a Western goalie. And sometimes I just call her and I'm like, do you feel this way sometimes like about like lacrosse and about like your mental health? And she's like, absolutely. Right. But, you know, I think having those people and having those conversations is what's helped me. And I think the people I know play goalie the most. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true for, for everything. Like I do online business with this lacrosse goalie training and there's just certain days where you're like, I'm man, I'm just in a funk. And like, I, I can't like, and you call and you talk to someone who also does it. And he's like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. And you're like, Oh, whew. All right. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I think just hearing that from another person, um, it lets you know that like, all right, this is normal. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, that someone said to me is like, it's not, uh, it feels like when you're in a, when you're in a slump, right. It feels like it's going to last forever. Yeah. But it passes, it passes. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're in it, it's like, oh man, this is never, this is never going to go away. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you have experience with that. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the letters I wrote, I even talked about that. I was like, um, I preface it with, you know, a year in the bottom of my intro, I said a year can make so much of a difference in your life. And when I was in that dark period, I didn't, you know, think that anything was going to change. I was like, you know, I wasn't doing what I was set, setting out to accomplish. So, you know, I was resenting lacrosse for that. And I, and, and in turn started resenting myself and, I think going into those deep slumps, the only way to get out of them is time, unfortunately, and the right people to help pull you out of it. But like, whether it be something serious like that or simple, something simple, like I had a bad game, you know, going on to the next game, you know, you just have to have people hold you accountable. Like I, I lean on my teammates. And I think for me, that's been the biggest thing that's helped get me out of those slumps. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, yeah. And then, you know, you even look back at it too. And you're like, man, I'm really grateful. I went through that because uh, guess what? Like it's made me a better person, you know? Um, Like what's that expression? Like the the calm seas doesn't make a great sailor. Like you've got to have a little bit of rockiness and and get through that. And now like, great, I'm a a better person for it. Um, So yeah, that's awesome. And then you penned, then you penned the second letter. Uh, What was it like? two years later, I guess just this year. It was, I wrote it this winter. This winter. And it's back. The love for lacrosse is back. It's kind of the, 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 the gist I got out of it, but tell me about that second letter. Yeah. I mean, I wrote, I was very, very fortunate to come into a program where I have coaches that, you know, having like the home life that I have, they very much knew how to deal with it, which was very, very helpful. And, you know, um, I think that being surrounded by people where they had experience in those areas and also like for them though, it was much like the culture at Syracuse is fun before anything else. And that, you know, that's enjoying the game. And we have three girls on our team who are indigenous, um, you know, they're native American and coming here and in the fall, they made speeches where they're like, this is just more than a game. Like, it's not just something you come do. It's not just business. It's supposed to be something you enjoy and they play it for their ancestors. And I think it gave me so, such a new perspective on the sport and why I love it. And, you know, I play it and I go out and I smile now when I play, I don't, I'm not so serious. So it's not such a perfectionist anymore. And I think being surrounded by people who could push that out of me was very, very helpful. And I, um, you know, it just comes back. Like I said, I'm so full of gratitude for the people that I've met here because 
I had people like that at Carolina as well, but here, especially, um, I think I met them at the right point in my life where they could help me out of that slump, um, and, you know, teach me, you know, these new life lessons and how to be a better teammate person. And, um, you know, that's fed into me being a better goalie, I think. So. Amazing. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. Um, what, what was it is what we're talking about right now, that kind of what went into your decision to transfer or was there other, was there other things going on for you? Um, for me, it was mostly, you know, I had a great goalie in front of me who had one more year of eligibility and in the timeline that I had, I was going to be a senior. And then if I wanted to use all of my eligibility, I would have to do grad school. And then, you know, finances play into that, you know, grad school is very expensive. And um, for me, I was like, I, like, I just wanted to play really, really badly because of how competitive I was. And, um, you know, I thought that if I wanted to make that dream come true, I would have to make that change. And I think, it's such a thing that's not talked about enough because, you know, there's stigmas around transferring, but, you know, my teammates at Carolina were so supportive of my transfer because they just wanted me to be happy and, you know, have the opportunity to play the game that I love um, on the field. And, you know, some people's transfers go smoothly, some people don't, but, you know, I had teammates sit down with me and like go through my options with me and like help me pick the school that I wanted to go to, which I was so lucky to have those people. So um, you know, it was, it was largely that. And um, coming to upstate New York, I have family from here. Um, I have family in Jersey. So, you know, that that definitely played a decision in my or factor in my decision. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, that's cool. You, you got that. You got that support. You know, uh, that's good to hear. I, you mentioned working with a with a with a sports psychologist um, at Syracuse, which is right at Syracuse. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Great resource. Great resource. Yeah. I'm curious um, if there's any other lessons that he or, or she has taught you um, that, that you'd want to share. Yeah. So I work with a guy named Dr. Tease out of Baltimore. He actually works with a lot of PLL players and professional athletes. He's an amazing sports psychologist, but the, when I first met him, he, he looked at me and he goes, I really want to talk to you later. Cause when he first met me, <laughs> I know where you're from and I really want to talk to you. And I was like, Oh no. Okay. Um, but when I first started talking to him, he was like, I can tell you're really hard on yourself. And I was like, yeah, but I was like, most, most D one athletes are. And I was like, what's so special about that? And he goes, you are so close to getting where you need to be, but you need to figure out how to change your mind process of using that perfectionism to benefit you instead of holding you back. And so he taught me like those, those affirmations I do before games, he taught me that, you know, writing down, um, it's actually like statistically proven to help benefit you more than if you don't. So like those little tips and tricks he's taught me and then managing my emotions. And, you know, um, I, when I play, I am an emotional goalie and like, I very much go to bat for my defenders if I don't think they got what they deserved in a game or, you know, like obviously in a respectful way, but um, you know, or sometimes I can outwardly show that I'm frustrated that I didn't do my job right because of my perfectionism. So he's taught me how to kind of rein that in, but then also like channel it into other areas of like, maybe like IPR, like positivity, um, communication, talking through it, those sorts of things. Awesome. Doc, Dr. T I'll, I'll have to get him, uh, try to get him on the podcast here. I'd love, I would love to chat with that well, guy. I'll send him. I'll send All right. Him. You send him, send him my way home and make a little note about that. Um, Cool. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And, and a lot of those lessons, especially writing it down, um, I talked to another sports psychologist and she said, uh, you, you build up this confidence reservoir, 
So you kind of like write down like all these things that make you, you know, a great goalie or even a great person or a great husband or a great sister or a great, you know, whatever role in life we're talking about. And then when you get down, right, because it happens in life, you give up some goals or you have a bad situation, you kind of feel down like, all right, now I can go back and review this reservoir and just kind of like, oh, yeah, like I am a great goalie or great brother, yeah. what, what have you. Um, well, very cool. Uh, I got some saves. Can we look at some saves? Sure. <laughs> Who doesn't love saves, huh? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hang on a second. Uh, this is from the game against your good friend and Lax Goalie Rat sponsored goalie, Madison Doucette, uh, who's awesome. The best. Yeah. The best. Um, first of all, you got some numbers there on the throw card tape. I'd love to hear the story behind those. Yeah, um, those are numbers of some of my teammates who had career-ending injuries. Um, 17, Mackenzie Olson, 13, Caroline Raider, 44, Emma Ward, 43, Sierra Cockerell. And then I also had 30 and 24 on my wrist, uh, 30 being Kenzie Harris and 24 being my other best friend, Emma Tyrell. So, and then I also, below that, I have Desi written, which he um, passed away from cancer and I got to meet him at Carolina and he plays a very, he played a very big role and the motto at Carolina, which is we get to, which, you know, I've taken with me to this program as well. And it's something that's very much impacted my life. And I'm very, very grateful I got to meet him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I talked to Taylor about that. We get to, it's not like we have to, right. It's, we get to, we get, yeah. we get to, we get to play lacrosse. Uh, yeah. Definitely. We get to practice. We get to run these stairs. So I, I love that attitude. Yeah. Um, in case anyone's kind of wondering what that was all about. So 223. Poincandall gets it down low with a shot that time. Oh. That's an amazing save. When we talk about uh, when we talk about kind of your style of play and kind of the boys' style of play of like, I don't know, some call it flopping, but you know, others call it just kind of getting the body behind the ball. I mean, this is a this is a beautiful, like that is that is headed to the low corner. And bam, you get down there and kind of, I don't know, does it hit your foot? Like talk me through this save here. Yeah, that I remember that hitting my leg. Um but she, Erin Korkendall, she's a very, very good shooter. And Northwestern specifically is very good at off-stick hip area. So I knew going into this game that um, an adjustment I had to make from the previous time I played them, that if I was going to do that, I would have to fully extend my leg out. I couldn't just drop because sometimes I just drop and, and try and get my hands there instead of my full body. So I knew that whatever movement I had to make, I had to make it 100% to just try and take up space. Um, and so that was like, when she was going, I knew she was going in that area and I was reading the ball, but I was just like, my leg moved faster than my hands. And thankfully I got a piece of it. So, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Now, when you're set up right here, you know, giving up, you, you've got the near side covered, giving up all far side in your mind. Are you, do you know that? Are you saying like, all right, I know what I'm giving up. And then as soon as she shoots, I'm going to attack it or, or no, just read and react. I think for this specific situation, I'm usually better at centering myself because I take I have a step system where I take a step off pipe, which is a smaller step and then a bigger step to get to my 45. Mm -hmm. But she was, she typically likes to do crease rolls. So I was thinking she was going to go back, but then when she started going over, you can see right when she shot, I started to step Yeah. a little bit, um, but she kind of caught me mid step. So I think I honestly, I wasn't really in the proper positioning where I normally am, but I got lucky and um, not really lucky, but I used my reaction to get there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. This, I mean, and when a shooter, you know, I don't know in the women's game, probably 
as well. But like all, when a shooter rips one off a defender's hip, like right off the hip, sometimes it's hard to pick up that release and and she's so close and like so i i would say that you know that reaction is is amazing yeah just getting that getting that leg there beautiful save thank you love that one all right hang on what happened to my notes the page turned all right 313 i think this is an eight meter yeah so um this is an eight meter Mm -hmm. um, I would love to hear your, your sort of approach to eight meters. What, what goes through your head? Do you got like a little, little pre thing that you do? Uh, talk to me about that. So for eight meters, I, I play a base that's pretty much even with my shoulders. I don't really have a wide base. Um, I'm not like super tall. So I think, um, you know, just a little bit outside your shoulders is the best positioning for me personally. Um, I take just one step up, not like too far, but not too shallow. Um, it's like an in-between between a high arc and like a low arc. Mm -hmm. um, so I take one step up, but I step back. I, you can see me before when they get an eight meter, I step back into the cage so I can center myself. Um, like when she's starting to set up after the ref calls it, I step back and then I step forward. Um, and I always uh, like grab my chest guard a little bit to like, you know, it's just like a position reset. A lot of goalies do it. Taylor does it too. Um, I think I honestly like learned it from her, if I'm being honest, but like, um, just, you just move the chest guard around. A yeah. Little. You kind of just like grab your chest a little and just like take a deep breath. And then like, you know, then you get into your positioning, but yeah, that's how I set up mostly. Awesome. And based on her body language in this particular play, like it's pretty clear she's going to rip it right. Right. You know, she's not running in. Right. So do you do something a little bit different that way? Or do you just kind of mentally set for a shot right away? I think it's more of a mental thing. I knew she's going to shoot it immediately. Um, for her specifically, though, um, I believe that's Jill Girardi. She's a very good shooter, but I also scouted her and I knew that she did her eight meters low. So when she winds up, you can't see it because I have sweatpants on, but I do bend my knees. Actually, you can't see it. I do bend yeah. my knees a little bit more because I knew she I was a, I was kind of assuming she was going to go, low, which she did. So um, that helped me. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, I don't know it kind of looks just like to the shoulder. You can kind of just, if you're reading the shoulders and, and the angle of the stick, like it's coming down low and I can kind of see, you know, be her low and bam, yeah. make a nice save, but it kind of sneaks through your legs, huh? Yeah. So it like hit my like stick and then hit my leg and then it, and then it died right next to me, which is nice, but those are the worst. Did the sweatpants kill it? I think it did. Honestly, <laughs> I really do think it did. So my, my defender who's standing right next to me, she's like, the ball's right next to you, Kimber. The ball's right next to you. Because I had no idea where it went for a second. Yeah. But, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, there we go. And um, hang on. 345 is the next one. Let's check this one out. I just seen that ball all the way in. Gilbert, see power. Yeah, dome shot, huh? Yeah, that was yeah. a dope. <laughs> That's uh, Lauren Gilbert, like one of the best scorers in the in the league. From oh man, nearly point blank range and and bam, right off the dome. Sometimes that can wake you up as a goalie. Yeah, I don't know how that one felt. Um, it was actually funny because before the game, uh, Emma Ward, because she can't play, she's been working with me a lot with shooting, and I was talking to her, Kayla and Kenzie, before the game started, and she has such a fast release off stick hip. So one of the things we talked about before the game was that just move your body, like move your body first. If she's just coming around, because if I can get my body there, like she's just going to hit me. Um, so I did cheat a little bit to the left when she rolled over 
and it just ended up hitting me right in the head. So um, it, I honestly didn't really see where it was going because once they release it and they, it starts going towards your head, you know, where you're like, I don't really know what to do. So you kind of just like soak it in, but it definitely, I shake my head after it. So it woke me up a little, but it didn't hurt too bad. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I can get dangerous sometimes take, taking one right to the dome in terms of concussions. Like, I don't know if you've had a, had to deal with that, but I had one concussion that just, it just got me in the wrong way. And, and um, man, don't, yeah. uh, I don't recommend going through that. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So that was super fun. Back to Gilbert. Save Howard. She's trying to do everything here. And she has started off the second half very strong. This is another beautiful save. So on this one, if you're just listening to the audio, like I think that's Lauren Gilbert again, gets fed mm -hmm. right on the crease, fakes high. At this point, you sort of come out. Um, and I'm curious when, you know, when you sort of come out at the shooter, what's your strategy on that? So if for me, that and this is something like I mentioned earlier I had to practice a lot this year was my patience because sometimes I would come out too early and I would give up way too much space but in this situation because she caught it and was only I think at least two feet in front of me I in those situations and like I just mentioned with her specifically I wanted to get my body there because I knew where she wanted to shoot so when she turned I wanted to step up and be big and then I kind of like move my body across because I wanted to take away that hip space area of the mm -hmm. off hip. And but she ended up hitting like kind of like in the rib area. Um, but I think when she just has to turn and shoot, like, you know, she doesn't have a second really to like fake because she has the four defenders, I think, crashing in on her. So yeah, <laughs> the entire team up being big and, you know, getting rid of that. Uh, space that she wants was what was going through my head in that moment yeah well that's a great save and you know when the shooter is locked in to like a specific spot like you know she ha basically has to shoot right here you know, there's so many yeah. defenders crashing in like that is a, it is a great time to come up and cut down that angle and just give her less goal to shoot at um, yeah and so I, I I you know a lot of goalies ask me well, when do I come out and it's 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 tough to say like you know, a specific, it, it, my answer is always, it depends, but like giving situations where, yeah, this is a good scenario to come out, I think helps, helps kids learn. So uh, there you go. And yeah, nice save. I think, I think that's it. I, one other thing. So I think as every goalie who has not ended their uh, season in a national championship, I think they can relate to that feeling right there. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about what's going through your head right there. Um, I think they scored a goal at the very, very end. I think there was like three seconds left. And, um, for me during this whole game, something I was actually very proud of myself was, is that I never once got frustrated with myself, with our defense or even with our offense. And we were really struggling on the offensive side this game, but you know, our, our defense, this whole game, we, none of us yelled at each other once we were very calm. We were very collected. And I was actually surprised at how calm I was because that is something I've been working on. And, you know, I was positive the whole game, even though we were down by like 10 at one point, like I still didn't feel that way really necessarily on the inside. And then once the, um, once the ringer ring or whatever it is, um, final horn, I, final whistle. Yeah. When the final, when the final whistle blew, I just, I got so emotional so quickly and, um, I'm actually, you can't see it because my head's down, but I am crying. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just because I wanted so badly for the people, you know, that were my seniors and that I loved and 
you know, as I wrote in my letter, I had such a um, connection with the people at this school and I, I wanted to get back to the, you know, national championship for them and for the alumni that graduated. So, you know, I think it was just an overwhelming feeling of like, you know, being, you know, sad and not necessarily disappointed in anyone or anything, but, it, you know, just sad because lacrosse is an amazing game, but it also is a heartbreaking game sometimes. And I think, you know, that was a moment where I just had to take a second and let, let, let that emotion out. And my teammate actually, I, they showed it a little later, but she comes up and she hugs me and she's just kind of like holding me and, you know, working through those emotions. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've gone through that as well, you know, not having won the national championship and even, you know, you got some extra time to play. I mean, I think when it hit me the strongest was my final year, final game, like, oh, it's all over. Um, and it hits yeah. you. It hits you. Yeah, it's tough. But but thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Awesome. That was great. Um, I think I, I think I got all my questions. Oh, there was one other question I wanted to ask you. So earlier in the year, you were splitting time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that, because, you know, some goalies, it's, it's a very specific arrangement. And, you know, some goalies always ask me for like, you know, how do I I guess if you're if you're if you're the starter, if you're playing in the first quarter, it's you know, it's kind of the same but if you're in this if you're playing in the second it's a little bit different just in terms of preparation staying um in the game you know and getting ready to go in um talk to me a little bit about about splitting time yeah so um splitting time was the thing that the coaches thought would be the best for this team and um you know Delaney and I who's my co-goalie we have very very different styles so one of the things they talked about us in the office was that you know, we think having two goalies with two very different styles could throw a team off. So it could be like, you know, a tactical advantage that we wanted to, you know, try out in the beginning of the season and see how it went. And for me, when they gave me the second half, a lot of people, you know, second halves can be hard because, you know, you are sitting for the first half and then you have to get dialed in and then go into the game, regardless of what the score was, whether it be tied, you'd be down or you'd be up. So um, for me, the only reason I think, not the only reason, but one of the big reasons why I think I could do well when I went in the second half is because my entire career at Carolina, my job was if, you know, the goalie in front of me wasn't performing well, I would have to get thrown into games to help out. And so, you know, being, having that experience as a backup goalie and then going in very high intense games, you know, I could dial in very quickly, but also I could also flush things that happened very quickly. So, you know, going in, in the second half, I just knew like, all right, what happened in the first half happened and also observations you can make, like, this is how they're shooting being like, you know, drawn into that. And like, this is what's working well for the defense. This is what isn't. And, you know, like staying engaged, but also staying calm. Um, but yeah, that was, it was, it was also a big learning curve for me too, because, you know, going from, I've always been a second half goalie and then having to go to a starting goalie in the Duke game, you know, we started off that game really rough, but being a second half goalie, I think helped us especially in that game, because then I started getting on fire towards the end of the game, which it took me a while this season to become a first and a second half goalie with, which I think is just experience. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. By the time you hit the second half, you're like, all right, I, I, know, I know how to do this. Yeah. I'm like, that's <laughs> but, yeah. 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 So a lot of goalies, yeah. They talk to me about, you know, how do I stay like um, in the game in the first half? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a challenge, especially when you're young. I think less of a challenge when you're in college because you're just like naturally you're more of an adult and you're like into the game and, and you're rooting on your team. But that can be like a main tip for those, you know, just just be into the game. Like, yeah. don't be looking at the sidelines and looking around and, and just, yeah. you know, really cheer on your teammates and, and be 100 mm -hmm. percent there. 
Absolutely. And I think this team does a really good job of that and like supporting each other and the goalies support each other and cheer for each other, which is awesome because some goalies programs don't have that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, 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 I'm sure your relationship with Delaney, like you push each other, but then you're probably also your guys biggest fans. Yeah. Delaney is, she has such a hard work ethic, like one of, one of the hardest work ethics I've ever seen her and her sister Savannah. So, you know, she has pushed me and made me a better goalie in so many different ways. And I think I, her, but, um, you know, we do have very different styles, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, like I can learn from her and like her positivity and like those sorts of things. So I think you can always look at another goalie, regardless of what style they play and like learn something from them because, you know, you can always get better in every area. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Uh, Kimber, that was amazing. I think we touched on everything, huh? Is there any other stories or any other questions you were hoping I'd ask? Um, I, th- I think we touched on everything. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if, you had to, if you had to leave the kids out there with one final piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I think it's what I said earlier that my coach Kayla said to me, but you know, just play with joy in your heart and have fun and remember, always remember why you picked up the stick in the first place. Very well said. I feel a little joy in my heart right now. Thank you. Thank you for talking lacrosse with me for the last hour. That was tons of fun. Uh, Kimber, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Kimber Hauer. Some awesome insights from her sports psychologist that works with the Syracuse lacrosse team. Kimber's actually going to be presenting at the Lacrosse Goalie Summit 7. I'm super excited to uh, for her presentation. She's going to be working with that sports psychologist to give us tips. We're calling the session Bulletproof Mindset Training. Bulletproof Mindset Training. That's going to be an amazing session. When is that one? Uh, if you go to GoaliesSummit.com, you can see the full lineup of exactly when that session is going to be. It is free to attend live. So if you sign up, you can attend all of these sessions live for free. That one's going to be Wednesday, June 29th at noon, noon Eastern. Wednesday, June 29th, noon Eastern, Kimber Hauer Bulletproof Mindset Training. I'll be there. I hope you guys will be there as well. Again, just go to GoaliesSummit.com, enter your first name and your email, and you'll get on the list, and you'll get the invites, the Zoom links to all of these training sessions. 20 coaches. Uh, Actually, 21 coaches, because Angie Benson and Taylor Moreno are going to do a joint session. I'm counting that as two coaches. (laughs) All right. I hope to see you there. GoaliesSummit.com. Absolutely free. In the meantime, get out there, get some work in, do well, and be well. I'm Coach Damon. Take care. You've been listening to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast with your host, Coach Damon Wilson.